is Michael Cohen, and you're listening to the Mea Culpa podcast. Russian President Vladimir Putin just escalated his invasion of Ukraine in a very big way, announcing a short time ago what essentially amounts to a draft, calling up 300,000 military reservists starting immediately. Vladimir Putin isn't taking his recent losses in Ukraine gracefully. That's not his style. On Wednesday, he announced that he will mobilize reservists and risk further pissing off the Russian people who headed to the airports in droves to buy plane tickets out of the country. Putin's war in Ukraine has been an economic fucking disaster and after only seven months, it has likely set Russia back half a century. This is not a bluff. The citizens of Russia can be sure that the territorial integrity of our homeland, our independence and freedom will be ensured. And those who try to blackmail us with nuclear weapons should know that the prevailing winds can turn in their direction. Putin gave a seven-minute televised address warning the West that he isn't bluffing. He will use all the means at his disposal to protect Russian territory, a not-so-veiled threat of nuclear war. He's angry at all of the NATO countries who've supplied weapons to Ukraine and keeps warning the West not to back Russia against the wall. But all this he has done to himself. Putin is expected to call as many as 300,000 reservists to go immediately into battle, marking Russia's first mobilization of troops since World War II. It's also been reported that Putin has sent literal madmen into Ukraine, rapists and murderers released from prison not to just fight, but to terrify the people there. This must be what Putin meant when he said, I want to remind you that our country also has various means of destruction at our disposal. At the time of this reporting, there were miles and miles of cars lined up on the highway trying to escape Russia for Finland. Protests across several Russian cities and here in Moscow against mobilization. And the habitual response from police. These protests will be crushed and hundreds detained. As you can see here, pretty dramatic scenes. And bear in mind, we haven't seen protests in cities for the last five or six months. People have been so scared of the fact that they will be detained. And that is clearly what is happening. Meanwhile, just as England is coming to terms with the death of the Queen, a former Putin advisor, Sergei Markov, followed up Putin's speech by going on a BBC morning radio show and threatening the UK with nuclear annihilation. The BBC broadcaster had only said good morning to you and Markov went fucking nuts screaming It's not a good morning for everybody for your British listeners I would say that Vladimir Putin told you that he would be ready to use nuclear weapons against Western countries Your cities will be targeted But it's morning not good so It's very it's very bad morning for the, uh, everybody so for the uh, yeah, for uh, people in London, because Vladimir Putin uh, directly told that he will be able uh, to use nuclear uh, weapons yes. uh, against Western countries, okay. against you, against yes. Great Britain. Markov added that it was absolutely clear that Russia has no war against Ukraine and that Ukrainians are our brothers. We'll tell that to the Ukrainians. 
He also said that a nuclear war could come as a result of the crazy behavior of the President of the United States, Joe Biden, and Prime Ministers of Great Britain, Boris Johnson and Liz Truss. Back in New York, at the United Nations General Assembly, Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky is due to address the gathering in a pre-recorded address. A crime has been committed against Ukraine, and we demand just punishment. The crime was committed against our state borders. The crime was committed against the lives of our people. The crime was committed against the dignity of our women and men. The crime was committed against the values that make you and me a community of the United Nations. England's new Prime Minister Liz Truss was on hand, imploring nations not to fall for authoritarian strongmen and stay focused on protecting democracy. And Joe Biden told the Assembly that the world has experienced great upheaval over the past year, a brutal, needless war chosen by one man. Vladimir Putin. Biden used the speech to urge other world leaders to continue holding the line against Russia, saying Putin must be held accountable for trying to extinguish Ukraine's right to exist as a sovereign nation. Let us speak plainly. A permanent member of the United Nations Security Council invaded its neighbor, attempted to erase a sovereign state from the map. Russia has shamelessly violated the core tenets of the United Nations Charter. No more important than the clear prohibition against countries taking the territory of their neighbor by force. Due to Biden's speech at the UN, the New York State Attorney General, Letitia James, was an hour late for her own press conference. But what's a few minutes after a three-year-long investigation? I will remind everyone that this investigation only started after Michael Cohen, the former lawyer, his former lawyer, testified before Congress and shed light on this misconduct. In 2019, I testified before Congress, giving them evidence that has finally turned into a sweeping lawsuit filed Wednesday against former President Donald J. Trump, his kids, Don Jr., Ivanka, and Eric, as well as Alan Weisselberg and the entire Trump organization, alleging they were involved in an expansive fraud lasting over a decade that Trump and company used to enrich themselves. Mr. Trump represented that his apartment spanned more than 30,000 square feet, which was the basis for valuing the apartment. In reality, the apartment had an area of less than 11,000 square feet, something that Mr. Trump was well aware of. And based on that inflated square footage, the value of the apartment in 2015 and 2016 was $327 million. To this date, no apartment in New York City has ever sold for close to that amount. In the more than 200-page lawsuit, A.G. James laid out a fraud case that encompassed all aspects of Trump's businesses, his properties, his golf course, and even fucking Mar-a-Lardo. The lawsuit contends that the Trump Organization deceived lenders, insurers, and the IRS by inflating the value of his properties, using misleading appraisals to get loans, and cheat on his taxes. Not new news to listeners of mea culpa, that I promise you, but it's maybe finally some vindication. 
Trump's bad business practices were never innocent mistakes, but rather an intricate scheme to defraud the government. Hell, anyone who crossed his path out of millions, maybe billions of dollars. This had been a pattern in practice of the Trump Organization for, as she put it in her complaint, at least a decade. James said she referred the matter to the U.S. Attorney's Office for the Southern District of New York, as well as the Internal Revenue Service. And as part of the lawsuit, James is seeking minimum, this is the bar, $250 million in allegedly ill-gotten gains and will permanently bar Trump, as well as the kids, from serving as the director of any business registered in the state of New York. James is also seeking to cancel the Trump Organization's corporate certificate, which, if granted, could effectively force the company to close up shop in New York permanently. So it ain't over yet, but overall, a really fucking excellent day for the rule of law. And this civil suit is just an opening act. The criminal referrals that come out of it may be worth the wait. James recently rejected the Trump Organization's offer to settle, making it clear that she's not interested in a fucking stinking deal. She's going for the whole enchilada. I just got to say, thank God for Tish James. She's tenacious. She's ferocious. She's what every single attorney general should be like. And I give her the absolute greatest of, um, of props. In other news of Trump's impending doom, Judge Raymond Deary, the special master assigned to Trump's Mar-a-Lardo stolen documents case, told Trump's lawyers this week that they can't have their cake and eat it too. Let me tell you, Donald Trump's lawyers got slammed at this hearing. They were on their back heels the entire time. Judge Deary laser focused on the issues, which was to ask them. And he had, prior to the hearing, put a uh, docketed entry asking them this question, which they didn't respond to in any meaningful way. But Judge Deary asked him, are you claiming you declassified these records? Are you claiming you own these documents, which the government, the Department of Justice and the executive branch is claiming as classified records? Trump's big claims on Newsmax and Truth Social that he somehow miraculously declassified the documents is obviously bullshit but not bullshit as lawyers were willing to claim in Judge Deary's court because A, the documents weren't declassified and B, those lawyers could be fined or disbarred for making those claims. And so, instead, they switched tactics and told Judge Deary that the Justice Department is lying. None of the seized documents were classified in the first place. So a Donald declassifying if they weren't classified. I mean, this is the way that this guy thinks. I mean, you fucking idiots. What's going on? To which the $3 million lawyer said something like, if you really want to know if the documents are declassified or not, you will have to charge Trump with a crime. Take him to court and then find out. I, if I was you, I wouldn't be saying that, pal. So as a lawyer, I found this to be profoundly satisfying. Judge Deary did what judges are supposed to do, but what somehow seems to never happen when the former president is involved. He simply applied the facts and the law. And in essence, this is what he said to Trump's lawyers. And it's remarkable, mm -hmm. Mika. I think you're right to say that they found it startling. They're not used to this sort of treatment in a courtroom. But the judge said, you brought the lawsuit. 
You bear the burden of proof. The government has made out a prima facie case that these documents are classified, the ones that have classified markings. If you want me to order that these documents be returned to you, you're going to have to come back with some kind of evidence to support your position. Judge Deary is not amused by Trump's efforts to limit or delay the Justice Department's investigation and is moving full steam ahead, even as the DOJ is fighting to dismiss the special master and get their documents back without intervention. <laughs> yeah, so yeah, it's a clusterfuck. Trump's lawyers are still trying to pass it off as a document storage dispute that has spiraled out of control. Tonight, in the case of Donald J. Trump versus the United States of America, the New York Times is reporting tonight that a former White House counsel warned Donald Trump last year when he was no longer president that Mr. Trump could face legal liability if he did not return government materials he had taken with him when he left office. But according to new reporting, White House lawyer Eric Hirschman told Trump late last year to give back the documents or face legal jeopardy. And Trump didn't listen. Why? Because he doesn't fucking care. You had said on Truth Social a number of times, you did de declassify. I did declassify, yes. Okay. Is there a process? What was your process to declassify? It doesn't have to be a process, as I understand it. You know, there's different people say different right. things, but as I understand, there doesn't have to be. If you're the president of the United States, you can declassify just by saying um, it's declassified, even by thinking about it, because you're sending it to Mar-a-Lago or to wherever you're sending it. And then some breaking news. A three-judge panel ruled unanimously on Wednesday that the Justice Department may now investigate the documents with classification markings that were recovered from Mar-a-Lardo, and that they will no longer have to submit those materials to Special Master Ray Deary for his review. I mean, Trump didn't even attempt much of a defense and submitted no claim that he ever declassified the documents. So, that should be the end of it. But don't count on that. It's almost as if they're competing to see who can be more corrupt. As Rolling Stone reported recently, it's a political conflict likely to produce more cruel, ostentatious, and draconian policy proposals and actions as leaders such as DeSantis and Trump compete to out-MAGA one another. I can't even begin to imagine what that would look like. And by now the whole world knows that DeSantis sent a bunch of asylum seekers and migrants to Martha's Vineyard on private planes and just fucking dumped them off. Well, those same folks have now filed a class action lawsuit against him. The migrants are seeking unspecified damages as well as the cost of their legal fees for emotional and economic harm. They enriched us. Migrants' 44-hour visit leaves indelible mark on Martha's Vineyard. <laughs> 44 hours? Wow, that didn't take long to leave an indelible mark. Less than two days in the same zip code with Venezuelans, and their lives are changed forever. And that's not all. On Monday, the Bexar County Sheriff's Office announced that it had opened an investigation into the reported pretenses under which the migrants from the San Antonio shelter were convinced to board those planes. Maybe this time the libs will own DeSantis. The Florida governor was threatening to send a plane load of migrants to Biden's home in Delaware, to which Biden basically said, fuck around and find out, assholes. In a battle between DeSantis and Dark Brandon, my money is on the president. Dark Brandon, rise up. For all those of you who voted for President Trump, 
And now for the main event. Today we welcome back to our show, our old friend Harry Littman. Littman recently wrote on Twitter, what is the difference between Donald Trump and his brand? At least for most of his life, not a lot. He is his brand. And she, referring to Letitia James, is trying to turn his brand into Enron and has a damn good chance of doing it. So from Harry's mouth to God's ears, Harry Littman was a former U.S. Attorney and Deputy Assistant Attorney General, and he's currently the legal affairs columnist for the Los Angeles Times opinion page, and he's a professor of constitutional law at both UCLA and UCSD. He can be seen as a legal and political commentator on CBS, NPR, MSNBC, and CNN. Littman is also the creator and host of the Talking Feds podcast, which is a must-listen for its sharp analysis of the myriad of corruptions, crimes, and moral failures of the Trump era and beyond. He's also a member of the Constantine Cannon whistleblower team, and you can find them at CC Whistleblower. So let's go now to that conversation. Okay, so Harry, Ron DeSantis and Greg Abbott pulled that stunt sending immigrants north on buses and in planes. That degrades immigrants and overwhelms the systems in the states where they are being sent to. Is this disgusting behavior impressing their base? And do you think that voters are impressed by the cruelty of it all? Because to me, it seems pretty sick to even, you know, to even most Republicans. You know, I felt the same way. It's not simply that they did it trying to make a policy point, but the sort of fratish guffawing that accompanied it. They really were proud of themselves that they had totally exploited and hoodwinked these completely innocent migrants, not to mention dump them in a place that has no infrastructure to take care of them, but acted heroically and American-like. You know, DeSantis, you're reading, it's almost a, a, a substitute because you can't do it totally with your old boss on the uh, landscape still, a kind of uh, opening event to his campaign. But yeah, besides um, being, in, you know, incredibly inhumane, probably illegal, it was just so nasty, just like, you know, like the worst of sort of frat culture. And that you know, he was he was proud of it. And and that whole deal with Abbott, I don't quite get that. They start in Texas and she, he brings them through in order to bring them up to Martha's Vineyard. But I, I did find it sickening. And I know there are probably a lot of Americans or Floridians who, who found it delightful. And that's more evidence of this weird, huge, and maybe unbridgeable I, divide I in the country. I can't disagree with anything you said. I've never, in my life, you know, I've read a lot of stuff that talks about how during the Jim Crow era that this sort of immigrant yeah. um, displacement, which was at that time predominantly black American, well, I, I'd say people of color, right? Yeah. They did in the civil rights era, too. Yeah, go ahead. You know, oh, here's a, yeah, right. They totally fooled them. Well, I was going to, you know, so you're right, the Jim Crow era, which which we, you know, increasingly resemble in, in a lot of ways, it seems to me. But also in the the Freedom Rider summer, they 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 had a name for it where and they put 
um, black citizens on the bus. They they sent him up to Hyannisport and told them that President Kennedy was going to be there to meet him. So they wore their Sunday best. They, you know, mocked and humiliated them. And, you know, of course, let me just mention as a former Fed it's not you're they're they're not in charge of immigration you can't the the conceit here is going to be if they're challenged oh they agreed to it did the migrants but i think as a matter of fact that won't hold up but it's definitely you know it's none of their business and they just like the idea of uh putting it over on the federal government the the overstressed people of martha's vineyard and not least 50 completely clueless, innocent uh, migrants who were just you know, the um, sickest made pawns of. Is the claims by both DeSantis and Abbott that they knew exactly what they were getting into. They were given brochures, they signed, and so on. The bulk of these people don't read or speak English. So, Harry, I have a document that I right. would like for you to yeah. sign. Actually, let me take you out of it. I have a document that I would like Ron DeSantis and Greg Abbott to sign. It happens to be in Chinese. Now, under the same theory, they should just sign it. And regardless of what it says, nobody explained to anybody from what I understand. And I think the number was 150, 150 that they had sent not fair. All right. And imagine their position. They've just arrived here. They're worried that they're maybe not illegal. Some official person says sign here. Of, of course you do. They're completely vulnerable and afraid. And by the way, all that was happening, the reason they could do this is because they were going to have to go through lawful process, prove their right to be here. But they, uh, you know, have, we don't have the, it's a problem, but it's not DeSantis's problem. We don't have the capacity to just immediately give them hearings. So we wait. But the 98% of the people show up for the hearings. So really what he was, you know, just the blow, the reason he they were there to exploit was because they were being processed in the system. And in, temporarily, of course, that meant being in Florida. And, you know, he, he, he pulled it over on them. Ha, ha, ha. Yeah. And we know that it's a stunt. Yeah. We know it's a, it's, and it's a yeah. cruel stunt yeah, of because some of these yes. individuals were dropped off right outside of Vice President Harris's home in Washington, right. D.C. Right. All right. The others were, of course, bamboozled into going to Martha's Vineyard at a time when there's right. no jobs. Martha's Vineyard is a vacation location. And right now it's over. It's like sending them 500 people or something permanent residents. It clears out. They did. They they acted miraculously. They, they, they analogize it to a hurricane to be able to care for these people. And they were neighborly when, you know, DeSantis was. Yeah, I won't. This is a big topic, but but the, how how the the Santis folks often coincide with protestations of ardent Christianity, and then could go and treat people like that is you know pr pretty vexing. Yeah, I think. It, I think it definitely goes against uh, Judeo Christian principle. I mean, as you stated, yeah. these people yeah. come from Central America, went in there, Venezuela. Yeah, I think uh, they, they were, come yeah. in, and here's the part that I think DeSantis and Abbott have real serious trouble. I saw that the Texas sheriff is now bringing an action against them and so on. But this is the part that I think that they're in serious trouble on. These asylum seekers were promised that they were going to receive work visas, work authorizations, um, if they agreed to one of those locations. And 
many of them, whether it was to Boston or to Martha's Vineyard or, you know, or wherever, obviously they get off the, bu- uh, the bus, they get off the plane, and they're looking around, scratching yeah. their heads, saying, hey, we're here. And everyone's saying, okay, like, who are you? You know, who fuck are you doing you? it. Yeah. What, are you, what are you doing here? And the next thing you know, right, um, the good people, the really good people of Martha's Vineyard, you know, that's the Judeo-Christian ideology. You help right. those in desperate need. And my father tells the story when he was, um, you know, in an internment camp, you know, back in, in Poland, that, you know, there were still some good um, people and that they used to provide them with, with food and, you know, whatever basic yeah. needs that they could afford to, to give. And that's what happened in Martha's Vineyard. That's the Judeo-Christian principle of helping, you know, of helping another, which, you know, is, thank God, honestly, it was a blessing that these people did what they did. Basic, basic needed, you know, um, items like tooth brushes, toothpaste, soap, you know, uh, some food, a bottle of water, you know, a sweater. I mean, come on, you know, you're taking them out from the southern border and you're bringing them off to Martha's Vineyard. You know, it, it gets cold there at night. And make no mistake, it's illegal. Uh, you know, that those those consents won't hold up. Now, of course, they you know, they're they're playing a game of chicken cuz they it's interesting as you mentioned, a sheriff in uh Texas is doing a state action and that would be pretty wild but it's illegal you can't you know the federal government has charge of immigration um and they're they're gambling i think accurately that even if they're a couple and it's possible criminal statutes broken you're not gonna you know try to lock um desantis why up. Not? but you could bring way, a civil would, action why not why not why it's not a, huh why not? Why is Ron DeSantis immune? You see, this is the problem. This is this is the, what's called the Donald Trump effect. You get these two fucking uh-huh. assholes, Abbott and DeSantis, who create this stunt in order to, you know, bolster their visibility, whether it's for a 2024 election, for a seat that they may have to be running for in the midterm. And with a certain crowd, the, the hate, you know, the MAGA crowd. Exactly, That's right. right. And they play this inhumane game with other people's lives. Now, the guy who actually also impressed me a lot is California Governor Gavin Newsom, right, who now yeah, goes yeah, out yeah. and he asks the Justice Department to investigate whether fraudulently inducing these asylum seekers to be transported across state lines could support charges of kidnapping under state law, right? I mean, this is, this is real, and, and we yeah, need to hold yeah. these people accountable. Ron DeSantis is no different than anybody else that grabs somebody and sends them across state lines for an illegal purpose. And that's exactly what he did. And he and Abbott, they should be held to the same, to the same accountability as everybody else. But what do they do? They follow the Trump effect. They basically stick their middle finger up to justice. They say, fuck you. We're going to do whatever we want. And there's nothing that you could do about it. And that's why people don't trust the Justice Department. Yeah, look, Michael, it's not that there's nothing they can do about it. In fact, I think they're thinking of many things, including the criminal charges. Um, but the main thing they want to do is stop this and uh, assert the supremacy 
of federal law. But look, you know, even in the civil rights era, right, you wanted to, you know, political leaders of a state, you just wanted them to get the hell in line. Lester Maddox, no one was going to throw him in jail. There, a lot of, there were people to throw in jail, but he wasn't one of them. So I, I don't think it's the Trump effect that says, if you can just enjoin a state or you can literally put the elected democratically elected governor of a state in the pokey, you know, you you go for um, the second. You know, when we're talking about Mar-a-Lago, people are able to make a really solid point of other people have done this before. They went to jail. The kind of crap that um, DeSantis and Abbott are doing to the extent we have um precedent it was sort of handled at the political level and you, and you didn't throw him in jail but you wanted to reassert who's in charge here because that's really the message they're trying to send fbi you know it's a jackbooted or jackbooted thugs and the federal government are nazis and the like so you you want to you know really make sure what's what and who's who and it's um i'll i'll just say i don't i don't think it it's an evidence of like some total cave if they're not thinking in terms of uh you know hauling desantis out in a purple and so he should be as far as i'm concerned but you know harry we've had you on the show um before and you and i always get into the conversation about the justice department and as you know i'm somewhat critical of the justice department for obvious reasons obvious reasons that that a lot of people have but it's you know their record appears as even as we were talking and you were saying they're doing nothing they were doing something we now know it seems Uh, like right Maybe yes, maybe no. And maybe these next questions, okay. maybe anyway, these next going. questions Sorry. will sort of answer that. Because Senator right. Dick Durbin, right. it. who chairs the Judiciary mm-hmm. Committee, said last week that he was launching an investigation based upon claims in Jeffrey Berman's new book, Holding the Line, which I don't, ask, I don't yeah. recommend any of my listeners to read, right? Um, inside, Why? because he's a scumbag, all right? Inside the nation's preeminent U.S. attorney's office and its battle with the Trump Justice Department. What do you think will come out of such an investigation? And again, going back to some of our previous conversations, I told you that the Justice Department acted improperly as it related to me, not just with the first with the first set of charges, right. but then with the unconstitutional remand of me back to Otisville. Now, while Jeffrey Berman's book validates my book that's going to be coming out very soon. You could uh, pre-order it. You could, if you go to the pre-order site, you can actually read right. both the forward and the afterward. Afterward was done by Norm. This is what, at Amazon? Yeah. I bet you better do it fast because I'll bet it's, it's going to it's sell already out on, like But we have cakes. our yeah. own website that has, and you can read the forward for mm-hmm. free and the afterward. And the afterward is actually written All by right. Norm Eisen and Donya Perry. But you and I have battled okay. about justice and so on. This mm-hmm. book validates everything that I say in my book called Revenge, how Donald Trump weaponized the U.S. Department of Justice against his critics. Yes. Do me a favor. Answer that question if you think anything will come out of this Dick Durbin um, investigation. So, look, um, f- first of all, our battles, Michael, have always been about the current Justice Department. I, you know, I... Um, I completely came to around to the view and it was a painful view for me because I, as you know, I'd worked with Barr before and there was just no, you know, there really was something very rotten on Pennsylvania Avenue. You and I have talked about Merrick Garland's Justice Department, but will anything come out? You know, you I look at the January 6th committee. I don't know whether Durbin will really have 
an exhaustive and strong investigation of some of the hijinks at the Department of Justice. We've gotten some just through the January 6th committee, the whole debacle with Jeffrey Clark at the end. I think when the DOJ published the memo that uh, Bill Barr relied on to say no crimes were committed, history weighed in and and gave that memo a D minus and and you know and saw it as a political document to try to um, justify a false account of the Mueller report. That's the kind of thing you can hope for in with these retrospective views. Do you want them? I think so. I think um, among the bigger outrages, maybe the biggest of the Trump era is not simply that he's not going to, you know, to his own personal um, recompense. But there's so much we don't know because of the fighting tooth and nail that, you know, hopefully we will, but it's not clear. It might be the province of historians. So will anything come of Durbin? You know, nothing to to give you back the the uh, the 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 time you you spent in with an with an ankle monitor around your your ankle. But if it's if there's a sort of sobering account, as we did with the FBI under Hoover, or we did in the in the church report after Watergate, and we have a sense of what happened and what to avoid. That's for a democracy. That's not right. Nothing. I want to be very clear, though. I didn't just have an ankle monitor for eighteen months. I'm still, by the way, on home. I'm on supervised release. I spent thirteen months out of a thirty-six month sentence in federal correctional institution Otisville. And based upon what? Based upon information that Jeffrey Berman had in his possession that he knew should have been released. You know, um, there's, I can't tell you. What's he, does he talk about he that does. in the book? And that's the interesting thing, the say? fact that he actually yeah. does. Because, you know, if one was, if, you know, if one was smart, one would not have done that. And that is what sparked um, Senator Dick Durbin to open up an investigation into it. These are from the words of the man who ran the Southern District of New York, who stated in his book that he was he was um, confronted by Bill Barr and uh, another guy. I think it was like either O'Donoghue or Callahan or something like that. Um, he was contacted by them and he was told that they wanted to reverse the charges against me for any of the stuff that had to do with Donald, that meaning Stormy Daniels and Karen McDougal, and to wash his name out of any of these investigations. Now, that kind of brings me up, that brings me up to my next question for you, because... Although, let's just mark that, that you don't... I never got, no one I knew ever got calls like that from the Department of Justice, especially involving political enemies of the president. That makes your... You know that makes your head, your your you heart sick if you like the if you love the Department of Justice. But well, yeah, it so should go make, ahead, bring it. It should Sorry, make Michael. all of our stomach sick simply yeah. because yeah. they're yeah. supposed to be impartial. They're supposed to be nonpartisan. Yeah. And they're and this was just absolutely absolutely disgraceful. Yeah. But Harry. It takes my breath away. There's all these, there's <laughs> okay. all these books. Deep, deep breath, breath deep is breath. right because this mm-hmm. is so aggravating. And by the way, I want to say one more thing about that. I'm not doing it solely. I can never get back my time. I can't get back my happiness. I can't get back my family's, my family's happiness. You know, it's going to take a very long time, if ever. And I do everything I can every day to make 
my family happy, to you know, bring them back to what people yeah. would call normalcy. Um, I, on the other hand, will never see that because I know that I went away for no good reason at all. That topic is covered extensively in Revenge. Um, so do me a favor, if you have the chance, go to revenge-thebook.com and you'll be able to read both the forward and the afterward. Wait, wait, revenge-thebook.com. Right. So okay. I'm doing it because, as I say in the book, I don't ever want to see this happen to anyone else ever again when you have a disgusting scumbag president who goes ahead, weaponizes the Justice Department with a willing and complicit piece of shit, meaning Bill Barr, all right? And they go after a critic because that's what this animal, this Trump, wants to do. And rest assured, Ron DeSantis is no better. If this guy becomes the president, I believe that this country is, as my, you know, as my father or my grandparents would say, of gechaktatsuris. Trust me on this one. This is a real mm -hmm. problem. But here's the, here's the thing, Harry. That, that means like all kinds all, of trouble. All, uh, all sorts okay. of So there's all yeah, these yeah. books coming out now. What Berman has done, yep. as far as I'm concerned, and yep. actually others who have commented on it, it's either unethical at the least and quite possibly illegal. But he's also not alone in this action. You have Mark Esper, for example, who wrote Sacred Oath. Even Mark Meadows wrote a book, which is likely full of lies and half-truths. But it seems like there should be consequences for people who profit from books that outline criminal behavior that should have been exposed earlier. What's your take on that? Well, let's see. If I understand it right, I, all of these, to the extent people worked in government, you have to get... Uh, clearance. And there's a pretty big uh, process. And I've talked to some people who did it who were sort of surprised that uh, they were able to uh, to get clearance. Now, that's separate from I think I think you're maybe asking, well, can you, you know, just like you don't want criminals to write an account of their bank robbery, you don't want prosecutors to write an account of corrupt conduct that's that's then not redressed. Um, it kind of goes back to what we're saying. I'm going to give you a nerdy legal answer, but I'm trying to think of it uh, also. You know, you, you want the information, even if it doesn't lead anywhere. We're a democracy. We want to know what happened. You know, it's uh, the, the people who were in those offices um, are paying a kind of historical price, a price of prestige. But you're you're right that you write a book and that means you make some money and one and you make some money in part because you're sort of, you know, telling being salacious, but but in a way that the government is clear that there's no, you know, state secrets or whatever. Uh, uh, is that the end of the line? Yeah. So I think I think so. Look, there's always we talked about this with 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 Trump's um, kind of uh, brain dead action now. Well, not you know, he's he, he it, it served him well uh, temporarily. But to try to get back his um, documents, for the most part, you could right now, you could sue those people, Michael. I'm sure you've looked into it. But, of course, they have all this protection of immunity which and of course all that goes, stuff. Which, of course, which, right, but it to, goes, that immunity goes away yeah. if there's a crime that's attached to it. 
if they and if they know it mm-hmm. was unconstitutional, et cetera. So so there are there are things out there that that agreed people can do. And if a book comes out and says, oh, I did X, Y, Z and you can sue them, you know. But basically, if what you're saying is they can write these books and detail unfair, unethical, maybe even illegal conduct and nothing happens. I think the answer to that is, yeah, that's that's right, uh, because, you know, we want the information first and, and foremost, even though it must frustrate the hell out of people who have well, been Well, certainly victimized. it does for me. So here's kind yeah. of, again, and you and I have talked about this the many times that I've had you on on the podcast. Jeffrey Berman sat with this information for four or five years, and the only time that he brings it that he brings it out is to put it in a book. Now, to me, the way yeah, I see make it, money and 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 white, and you know, supply his own right. story. To yep. me, I see it as almost like hiding Brady material. That's information that I could have used had mm-hmm. it had he put it out there right at the right at the beginning and. To me, I think that there has to be consequences. You know, Newsweek actually covered Brady violations. There are consequences, but I, you know, and I got to say, I haven't read Berman's book. Um, uh, but they're just they're just separate. All I can say is, reading it must be for you and others. If if you know if those charges are well taken, it's got to just drive people insane. Um, but um, try, sort of going back and suing a government person, you know this better than I do, man. It's there's all kinds of of protection. The idea being, you know, we don't want them to flinch from doing their duty. That's kind of an ironic rationale in the Trump era. But you know, yeah, I mean, look, you know, one of the things um, that Jeffrey Berman told, and he told it to Rachel Maddow, yeah, and he said, I'm going to quote this, I wanted people to understand the full scope of the outrageous and improper political interference by Trump's Justice Department in the cases of the yeah. Southern District of New York that demonstrates what Trump is capable of and what he's likely to do. And again, Berman told that to Rachel Maddow. And it also provides a frontline view of just how vulnerable our justice system is. Well, thank you, fucking Jeffrey Berman, for five years, for five (laughs) years later, coming out and making this wonderful statement that would have helped me in my in the case that was brought against me by who? The Southern District of New York, by the office that he was in charge of. And again, Look at the title of my book, Revenge, How Donald Trump Weaponized the U.S. Department of Justice Against His Critics. Here he's saying about the improper political interference by the Trump's Justice Department. I mean, I now have that lawsuit. We talked about this against the United States government, uh, the Bureau of Prisons, uh, Bill Barr, Donald Trump, etc. And that case is right now still in the courts. What does government do? Government files a motion to dismiss the case based upon... Immunity clauses based upon um, a handful of other, yeah. you know, failure to state a cause of action upon which relief can be granted, blah, blah, blah. And yet they know, they fucking know that this is exactly what was happening in their office. And the bad part is what we're finding out is that they're all complicit in the lie. Jeffrey Berman may be the guy coming forward right now, the big whistleblower, but they all knew exactly what was going on. None of this was a secret, and they all kept their mouths shut. For what? Because it's like Judge Jed Rakoff says, prosecutors don't care anymore about prosecuting cases. 
All they care about is their conviction rate so that they could end up going to the white shoe firms, make the seven figure salaries. You know, it's all about their own advancement at the expense of other people, you know, like myself. It's really it's a terrible thing. But let me move on because I could rant and rate about I, I just have a standing objection. We'll talk more about this next time, what most prosecutors are like. Okay, yeah, keep going. And we will fight about that because, rest assured, and, I find them all yeah. to be full of shit. Now, Judge Cannon's yeah. ruling says that she's on the side of yeah. Trump and not the law, and now the DOJ has an appeal in the 11th Circuit. But in the meantime... How do you feel Judge Deary will handle his position as special master? Because I understand that he's respected on both sides of the aisle. Do you think he's able to be fair in this case of Morilardo? I do. And there's the early indication from just before we started talking, Michael, is very strong in that respect. So uh, Cannon, uh, among the two or three craziest um, aspects of her crazy ruling is she, uh, Trump says, you know, the United States says we've got something very basic here, uh, Your Honor. We want these hundred classified documents. Everybody knows nobody could possibly argue a former president or anybody can't have any possessory rights in classified documents. There's nothing. There's no way to contest that. Trump didn't contest that. What he said was. Well, the government says they're classified and she actually bought that. She swallowed it and like, yeah, the government says, but how do we really know? That is both, you know, crazy as a bed bug, but also really dangerous. If if the classification system was, you know, the the people who are good at it make a sort of recommendation, but it's all up to a district court judge. Well, Deary came right out on the bench. This is about an hour ago and said to Trump's folks, well, what is it? Do you, you know, and they said, well, we don't want to have to say now. And he said, no, that sounds to me like you're trying to uh, have your cake and eat it, too. You can't do that. I see no evidence here at all of any kind of uh, classified status. And, you know, with no evidence on one side and evidence on the other, that normally means the other side wins. That was another elementary principle that somehow Judge Cannon just <laughs> forgot. So it seems to me, he didn't say, but it seems to me he's going to take those hundred documents, and she told him to do them first, and say, evidence that they're classified, no evidence on the other side, they're classified, and that means they go back to the government to do with what they will, exactly what Cannon didn't um hold she's going to be super embarrassed but she'll just say something like well now that we have some confirmation by a neutral third party blah 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 but yeah he's a you know i guess trump saw you know you know you know better than i do he's he didn't read deary's opinions uh but uh he's all well appointed by reagan must be okay he's subject to this crass thinking more than anyone and it was probably a mistake deary's respected as a honest down the middle judge on both sides and as I've been writing and tweeting, her it's not as if her opinions were like a little bit wrong or based on different judicial philosophy. They were a joke. And there's just no, you know, just legally legal garbage. And so um, a, a Republican appointee like Deary and the Trump appointees on the 11th Circuit really ought to see that. Uh, we'll see about the 11th Circuit, but so far, so good. You know what's hearing. very interesting? So I opened up about three weeks ago this TikTok account, and I go on these rants. It's called oh. Michael Cohen Reacts. <laughs> and today, on TikTok, on TikTok um, yeah. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> and uh, on TikTok, yeah. I turn around mm -hmm. and I say, okay, I'm really fucking confused, folks. 
I'm confused. Why? So let me tell you. First and foremost, he claimed <laughs> that, that there were documents, but he returned them. And then we find out that there were documents that he didn't return. And then he claims that he doesn't have documents. And then the feds... I just right. got to amend you because we found out one thing this week that people missed because there was so much going on. We found out this week that he first said way back in October, there's only uh, about 12 boxes and they're just newspaper right. clippings. That's what and that's what he had. Pat Philbin here from Mark Meadows. That's so, you know, before and everything. Got, and he got his lawyer. Poison. And I think yeah. the lawyer is Bob in that case, uh, who signed an affidavit that there are no more. Well, that's that's so now, the affidavit right. so now she, the next now year Now she's June. got yeah. big problems. Okay. So then I yeah. said, then he claims that there's no doubt documents, but there are documents. They sign a warrant. FBI comes. They take an additional 12, 13 boxes, et cetera, that have 100 plus top secret, secret, Is that, you know, um, you know, do documentation that was not, you know, that classified. Um, okay. Then he turns around and he claims that he was allowed to have these documents because he declassified all of them. And of course, we all know that nobody Nobody, and allegedly there were 17 people around him all the time, heard him or do anything that declassifies these documents, not to mention just... And he didn't really say. He wouldn't swear. He just sort of said maybe he did. Correct. And he paper. won't swear to it because then yeah. they'll get him on a 1001 violation of lying to right. government. All right. Then now he turns around and he claims he's allowed to have them because he has executive privilege, despite the fact that he's not the president. I know that he's got some dementia going on, uh, you know, but he has to understand he's not the president. I don't give a shit what people on the golf course call him or his employees at Mar a Lardo or any of his other fucking fakakta places that he goes to. He is not the president of the United States. He does not hold executive privilege, plain and simple. And so I go on and I say, I'm just confused how Judge Cannon could possibly this is right, TikTok. How Judge Cannon could possibly yeah. have come up with the decision that she did without trying to embarrass herself for the rest of her life. But here's the part that again infuriates me. These judges have tenure for life until they decide to step off. They're, these federal judges are lifetime appointees. There has to be a method to remove people like this. This isn't partisan. This is stupidity. I mean, that'd be like putting Alina Haba on the federal bench. You know, that's why Trump wanted the case remanded back to her for decision instead of, instead of Deary. And this is a real problem. This is how fascism starts. This is how dictators get their, you know, get their start, their comeuppance. They changed the rules of the game to benefit themselves. And folks, we got to get smart. We got a, an election coming up in under 50 days. So I ask every one of my, every one of my followers on all my social media platforms, on Mea Culpa. Mea Culpa is a movement. And our goal is to make sure that we get out there and we vote because we're voting not just to hold this man accountable, to protect democracy, to ensure that our constitution is upheld. It's also in order to get rid of all of these folks that are, you know, um, overturning Roe and what will probably be an overturn as well of Ogerberfeld and half a dozen other cases that these, you know, we'll call them uh, white supremacists, <laughs> supremacists, uh, that they are anxious to have. And I'm just asking everybody to make sure that you grab one to two people uh, on election day and make sure, you know, that they vote. That's the important thing. So let me then continue and ask you this then. Late last week, 
Trump was in an interview with Hugh Hewitt when he basically said if he was indicted, there would be violence or civil unrest anyway. Could that sort of coercive talk from a former president be considered witness tampering? The short answer is no. Again, now at the first level, it's foul, it's base, it's it's you know, it's Trumpian to its core, it's you know, nasty. It's also I think false. I think what we now know is if it happened, there'd be some ragtag, you know, protests, but but I think we make a mistake um if we're too daunted by his, you know. Uh, crazy followers but um and all these things this this actually gets to the bigger question of if they could do a case based on mar-a-lago or a case based on january 6 what would they do he would have there so i'm just i'm just following like a like we're in law school here and professor cohen has asked me he would have there a pretty strong you know first amendment defense and he would say i didn't really mean it and i and i certainly and for witness tampering you've really got to identify a specific person so I think I don't think I don't think it was like, uh, you know, as as some of his things have been a crime, you know, open and notorious on Fifth Avenue. But it was disgusting. It it was a um, very strong illustration of the kind of country he's banking on, you know, wants it to be. He wants people to be afraid of him. He wants people to be divided. He wants uh, the people who vote for him to view um, the other side as you know, uh, alien and not as Americans, but as, you know, a- absolute um, un- infidels who hate the Constitution, all this crazy stuff. Um, and that's that's, you know, that used to be bad enough until we had a serial criminal as our 45th president. So it's all those things. Witness tampering. Could you check off the boxes for the elements? I don't think so. Student Littman. Out of my class immediately, yes, sir. head to the headmaster. Exactly. Here's a quarter. <laughs> and, right. you know, go call your more like, parents. More like here's <laughs> a quarter. Go call someone who cares, because it ain't me. Here's yeah, what yeah. I here was <laughs> here's what I would say to you, my friend. I would say that I would use January sixth, the insurrection, and the language yeah. that he used, and the result that came mm-hmm. from it as the basis for showing he knew exactly what he was trying to do. The language that he made on the Hugh Hewitt show is identical in form to what he said at the January 6th ellipse, um, at the ellipse rally. And so- That's brilliant, Professor. Oh, I just had one question. Who's the witness he's tampering with there? Who is the witness that he's tampering with? He's tampering with the entire process uh, with the United States of America. so there you go. All right, okay. But that's not what the statute said. All right, fine. all right, Who am I all right, to question all right, my all right, professor? All right, okay, go ahead. Littman, sit down and shut up. Um, <laughs> so, look, then on top of that, you know, one, and everybody yeah. has the right to be somewhat nervous because we've seen what these crazies are capable of doing. But I saw a meme, and I was... And he more identifies with them now. He's going full QAnon. He's wearing pins and stuff. He's republicizing there. And yeah, did you see you know, that rally? I, I don't. What do I know? I've been wrong about him forever. You've been right. Harry, but, did um, you see that rally the other day that that, when they were all doing the Nazi salute? Yes. And they're all these QAnon conspiracies. Yes, you know, yes, For yes. somebody. Not a mistake, For someone right? who's the son of a Holocaust survivor, right? This is yeah, not fucking right. acceptable. And that was a full, that was a full stadium full of these, these wackadoodles. But here's the meme that I 
saw. Right. And I was, that was like Granny Life. It sure was. And I was so happy to see this meme because it gave me some comfort. The meme was all of these insurrectionists standing there and so on. And then underneath it, it's like, don't be afraid. And it shows the U.S. military. All right. Rest assured. And I promise <laughs> you, many of these insurrectionists will not do battle for Donald because Donald has already yeah. left them in the jail cell. Oh, I'll pay your legal fees. Let me tell you, he doesn't pay his own legal fees. He's not paying yours. And now they know it. Just <laughs> exactly. ask, just ask Stuart Rhodes. Ask all of these insurrectionists. Who goes on trial That's next right. month. Ask all of these insurrectionists who are in jail right now and or awaiting sentencing if Donald paid their legal bills. And of course the answer is no, even though it's not his money. He's a fucking liar, plain and simple. And I, and I am certain that these people will not go to battle for him for that reason, and also, they understand. America is now more in tune with these domestic terrorists. And I promise you, you could say whatever you want about the DOJ. They are not the I'm talking about our military, our fearless fighters, right, in uniform, regardless of which division that they're in. These idiots get out of hand. I promise you. There will be blood in the streets, you know, and the bulk of those people that will go down will be these Donald Trump maggots, right, who think that they're doing the right thing for themselves, the country, for Donald, and so on. So I was extremely happy. You know, I basically agree with you, and, and it's, a, it's, an, it's a tough, uh, disparaging word, but maggots make sense to me in this sense. You know, they're kind of like terrorists. They mean to terrorize or terrify the country well beyond their numbers they're losers and you know as they get uh either um thrown into prison or bankrupted which is happening to a lot of them you know they're they're people with these grandiose notions and what you want to look for is to you know bring them down make them smaller there's always going to be steward roses out there spouting crazy uh stuff but they 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 can be shrunken more and more and you know an object of scorn and even humor and that's you know the it it plays into their hand to be overly terrified of them they're they're basically ragtag yeah except they're rigged now of course that ragtag it's a force multiplier to have the president of the united states uh vouching for you and saying i love you and you but you know these are these are yes, twerps. but they're ragtags, they're twerps, they're you know um, mindless maggots, but they are also armed to the teeth. And so, yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. The yeah. one they, thing that they have to understand is they're untrained for the most part. They're just a bunch of assholes yeah. that go to these these gun meets. They swap guns, they buy guns, and all that. Yeah. Our military is so they're so trained, well trained. You got one sniper. I don't care if you're walking around with thirty thousand bullets in a in a wheelbarrow behind you to use. If you're lucky, you'll get one shot off before a sniper puts one dead center in your forehead, right? And they understand that. They understand that they're going to be fighting basically the United States military, and they know they have no shot. And I don't think any of them want to lay down their lives, you know, for Trump, um, especially after seeing all of the hardships that these January 6th insurrectionists and others 
are going through. I just that's just my my personal opinion. But yeah. And how about the pack, right? You know, turn shaking his supporters down for 10, 15, 20 dollars, getting a couple hundred million but just using it as a slush fund, right? He just exploits them so much. He has them in contempt, but they keep coming yeah, and back. I don't know why. So let me ask you what do you think the yeah. January 6th committee will focus on during the next set of hearings? Because they claim top have been flooded with new testimony and information. Right. You know, Harry, you care to speculate on what that might be? Man, I need to be clairvoyant, Michael, because I, I know they don't know themselves. So they're really um, uh, thinking about it. They don't know whether to try to sort of dig deeper you know they've got this uh, and and revisit like really uh, showcasing the secret service stuff uh and or they had you know a few of his cabinet members um they don't know whether they're going to be going for follow-up you know and they have to be one thing that i think they're thinking but it's this is what i would counsel them we're it's getting late they, you know, right after this, they're going to do a provisional report and then it's December and, you know, Cheney and Kinziger are gone, et cetera. So I, uh, I, I don't I don't see them plowing complete new ground. But as I say, it's pretty evident that they don't know themselves. There's a good way of looking at that, which is they have a sort of surfeit of riches to to plow through. But They've also they're pretty. They themselves are a hard act to follow, right? They've been able to have a series of hearings, each of which had a theme, and each, or brought home a different kind of attempt to um, to to stage a you know to basically foil the peaceful transfer of power. And so now they probably have some really good stuff, but does it fit with a theme or a story, etc.? So. Um, I, you know, I think there's there's a lot of internal discussion now and, and they do have all this stuff. We don't know what it is, but we know it's copious. So, I, you know, I try to uh, stick to at least um, some kind of, you know, suppositions with some basis and not shots in, in the dark to keep my my uh, prediction record not too okay, terrible. And I respect that, except let's then go on some of the facts that we yeah. do know. We know that the January 6th committee has met with, spoken, and taken depositions from like a thousand people, right? I mean, that's right. a lot of people. Okay. Literally. They have at least a million, at least a million pages of documentation that have been provided by these thousand plus people. Okay. We also know, for example, because the January 6th committee has and has already put it up during these hearings— Conversations, for example, Mark Meadows with Don Jr., with Ivanka, with Eric, with this one, with that one. We already know all of that. And we know what those text messages say. I'd like to know more about Meadows, frankly. He, 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 he you know, bolted at an, at an inopportune opportune for him. But I, I'm basically. And you know, then there's, of course, the text messages with Bill Barr back and forth with other people and so on. So we have right now what I would say is more than enough in order to indict. But for some reason, Merrick Garland is like molasses through a strainer. In fact, I compare him many times to someone like Alvin Bragg, who had Donald Trump by the cojones. All he needed to do was a slight little twist, and the guy would be on the floor crying. Why? Instead, they let 
they sort of put that to the side. And now it's Alan Weisselberg up at bat come October for the hearing against the Trump organization. Now, here's the thing. They keep talking about how Weisselberg will not testify against Donald. Well, then how do you then answer questions regarding the Trump organization when every single thing that was ever done at the Trump organization, including the purchasing of paper clips, all had to be approved by Donald? He knew everything that was going on there. So how do you then separate out Donald from his eponymous company? And my belief is that you cannot. So all of this bullshit about him not testifying against Donald is a lie. And if that's the case, why then not move forward immediately? Or why not bring back Mark Pomerantz and Carrie Dunn and let them finish what they started and what they, even though now they can't because the statute of limitations, I think, ran. But let them handle the case because they know more about Trump, the Trump organization, than everyone else combined at the, at the district attorney's office. All right. I think that's what I learned in law school is called a compound yes, question, but I'll, but, I'll do, but I'll do my best to, to handle a couple of things. So, you know, I was surprised by Bragg, but I just want to say that I do think that an, a criminal case against the Trump organization goes at least in part against Donald personally, because it's so much his, you know, the crown jewels, including literally the expense. And Weisselberg, yep, he was the uh, bookkeeper who stayed quiet. But at the end, they turned it around and his short sentence transformed into a 15 year sentence, something yep. that, you know, he I'm sure would be adequate unless he gives honest testimony. He's going to be asked questions that are going to like, yeah, they won't result in, in Trump going to the pokey, but they they will uh, result in in a really inculpatory picture of Trump. Uh, now back, I think just on just in time, we're toward the end of the show. We can we can take up our old arms here on DOJ itself. And well, uh, have, what was it? Molasses through a strainer. Molasses through a strainer. We got you know. Look at today's New York Times and the seven actions that are are being vigorously pursued they're casting a wide net he said that they're going everywhere without fear or favor i think he's been true to his word you've had philpin and cipollone in the uh grand jury they now are going after the pack they two weeks ago issued 40 subpoenas i know a lot of people were with you a few weeks ago on you know foot dragging the doj i just don't uh, see it now and in fact i think i've been partially vindicated when I said, you know, when we would have these friendly discussions before that, um, you know, they even though it was out of sight uh, to us uh, because they are um, they play by the rules, um, you know, they were they were uh, moving on things and and Trump is in serious jeopardy. So, you know, the um uh, I think now we now and I, I've been in, in, in developing cases. They don't they don't come to fruition at, by a political uh, calendar. But I think it's pretty clear to many. I'll put it that way, uh, Michael, that, you know, the um, the 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 DOJ is uh, being aggressive, casting a wide net, definitely 
uh, acting as um, Garland said um, movingly. I go back to your grandfather here, but in the in Ellis Island last week, you know, no fear or favor. That's the rule of law. Everybody is equal uh, under it. I'll, I'll tell you this. Uh, we know from what he filed in the 11th Circuit that Donald Trump certainly doesn't think he's not in uh, jeopardy. Yeah. Uh, he said, you know, I want to do this as a defense to my indictment. So, you know, that's a real yeah, well, The only time that things actually move quickly is when it's Michael Cohen and you give him 48 hours to plead guilty. Something I talk about uh, a lot in the new book with statements from when was so when's October the book coming 11th, out but it's something that um we have we have agents that were involved making statements in terms of what was going on but that brings me to the point that I want to ask you which is about the elections because abortion okay could be the linchpin that helps the democrats keep the senate yeah. and maybe the house as well now it's like the dog that caught the car for republicans right i mean why they did i have no idea yeah. if left up to the states could it be that abortion would remain legal or, based on Lindsey Graham's recent proposal of a 15-week ban as federal law, are Republicans just covering, covering all their bases, hoping to never restore abortion rights again? Man, I do not know, because I think of them as acting even on this issue, which is supposedly one of you know, high morality in, in, in the most sort of base political terms. And I think they are trying to run. I think dog that caught the car is a perfect analogy. They're like, what do we do now? And you see some backing away. So Graham, my sense, you know, I, I don't I don't get invited to Republican caucuses, but my sense is that Mitch McConnell was taken by surprise and it was a uh here, you can use Saudi language on mea culpa. It was the proverbial turd in the punch bowl for Republicans. And it's showing, to you know, it was a couple months ago, the conventional wisdom based especially on, you know, Biden's lack of huge popularity anyway, and the uh, the normal disadvantage for an incumbent that the Republicans were going to post big gains. Now it looks like, you know, the Dems, if anything, at best for the Republicans, it's a jump ball, maybe better for the Dems. And I think the reason is um, the Dodds uh, opinion, which was obviously the architecture. I mean, the, the the campaign promise of Trump. And, you know, so you ever heard of the idea of a, of a pre-mortem? You sort of figure out what went wrong if it does go wrong in advance. Seems to me if uh, the Democrats hold hold it together and, and keep Congress the Republicans in the history books are going to talk about the they're really failing to um, appreciate the Dobbs effect. And, you know, they stepped on a hornet's nest and the hornets are really buzzing and, and angry. And you do get sort of anecdotal reports all over the country of of women in particular, almost always, who are very fired up uh, now. I You know, it'll prove, I think, to, to have been a mistake on political grounds. Um, and but which, again, is, I think, what they are thinking of. And Lindsey Graham, man, he's a schizophrenic guy, right? There's just a Dr. Jekyll, Mr. Hyde aspect to him and why he all of a sudden came out. And this is sort of in his macho stance. You know, it's the exact opposite of what people on the Supreme Court claimed and what, you know, uh, pro-life forces claimed. It's to make every state able to decide for itself now he wants to ram a federal uh, single solution down every state's throat. That's, you know, that talk about a baby. Yeah, I mean, switch. it's just Lindsey Graham's just 
He's just a bullshit artist, and he gives, he even makes the dirty politicians look clean, right? So let me ask you this, since we were talking about abortion and uh, all of the other um, kind of wins that Joe Biden has been um, seeing over the course of the past month, because he's had a yeah. string of victories. Um, he has. But in all fairness, yeah. these string of victories have not helped him that much in the polls. I mean, they are wins that I the agree. Democrats can run on, but they really haven't, they haven't done what the Democratic Party you know, thought that they would. Do you think that the passage of, say, the CHIPS Act um, that will bring factory jobs back or the positive aspects of the Inflation Reduction Act, do you think that any of Biden's legislation will have any effect on voters, particularly Republicans? Yeah. So I think some his numbers are up and with independents. I don't know about Republicans, but it is a political puzzle. And I'm not a political uh, puzzler um, that he he's not getting full uh, credit. In fact, I mean, it's even the the um, situation on the ground, economic and otherwise, is better than people seem to think. And there's some, you know, um, feeling about him uh that that just is as old or doddering i i that i just don't see he seems vital to me and sort of very decent but you know the the the, the bigger point is for whatever reason he's getting less i think credit i mean it's been a remarkable legislative run for a guy who's got a 50 50 um senate and he's put it uh together but he's not getting full credit. He's getting some. And that's the, you know, the other thing is you know, we're talking about such fine um, grained differences and measures and one percent of the voters here and 0.5 there. So will that be um, will his failure to get full political credit from the American people actually translate into, say, uh, losing the House? You know, so those are two for me mystery political science um uh questions but i but the fact the premise of your question i think is just accurate it's just objective you know he's he's really put together a run to rival you know roosevelt or johnson and it's just you know he's not getting full i mean i saw an article i saw an article in reuters uh, a couple days ago i think it was uh on the 13th of the month where 54% of Americans disapprove of the president. And I'm scratching my head and saying, this is an, right, this is an wrong, empathetic yeah. man who's yeah. come out. He is adamantly opposed to the overturning of Roe. He's willing to fight like hell for it. On top of that, the Inflation Reduction yeah. Act. And now you have the, um, he's living up to his promises. He's reducing student debt. Uh, he's worried about climate. You know, let's just take yeah. those three. All right. And we'll take it quickly because time is running out here. And I have one last question for you. Yeah. Let's just take those three okay. women. Every woman other than the maggots. All right. Should be voting for Joe Biden or a Democrat in whether it's November midterms or the general election. Why? Well, because under the Republicans, they're willing to basically say, yeah, um, your body, our laws. OK, Enslave them. that's yeah. one. Number two, you're. All the students, he's giving them breathing room by reducing their student debt. I mean, that's an easy one. This is somebody that's doing something for you to make your life better. And then you have climate. We are seeing every single day 
worse and worse hurricanes. We're seeing more and more devastation from wildfires to flooding. In fact, I saw an article where they have scientists showing that Miami, Florida is going to be underwater in 15 years. Now, that's okay if you're 80 years old and you don't expect to make it to 95. Mm. Or you don't like Miami very much, but right. I take the point. And so <laughs> he's wants, he wants to do things that will start to reverse yeah. climate change if it's even possible. Yeah. And so if you're young, if you care about this planet, and if you care about yeah. women's rights, I don't understand how anybody, other than, again, these maggots, so maybe they amount for a million people, a two million. The rest of the country should be voting all of these animals out. And that's just so let me get to the last question, yeah. because as you both know, you know, um, time goes by quickly here on Maya Culpa when you're having fun with yeah. your with your friend. But, Harry. But I enjoy it. Yeah. Right. OK, so lots of people are worried that the poll numbers are incorrect and there are still silent voters out there that will show up in November to surprise us. What's your take on it? Are you concerned by any of the poll numbers that you're seeing? And do you think we're in for any shocks uh, come November? You know, I'm concerned by all the poll numbers. I, you go back to 2016, which I found to be stunning. But, you know, the guy who now uh, runs the, the, uh, the country, Mr. 538, tell me his name, uh, said, look, what I told you is about a three to one shot. And, you know, three to one shots come in one out of four, et cetera. So it's, it remains such an imprecise science and things remain so um, volatile. And I've lived through elections. It sure felt to me ones I really cared about, like 2016, where you had that October surprise from Jim Comey or whatever, that things can get um, shaken up. So, you know, I'm I'm not exactly a partisan in my journalistic uh, guys, although, you know, I'm obviously a Democrat, but I don't think you have to be partisan to dearly, dearly, dearly want uh, the stain of Trumpism, including DeSantis and others, to be removed from this country. And, uh, you know, it's not simply that the Dems could lose, but that those guys could win because the rest of the Republican Party seems to just have, you know, withered up and died and, uh, you know, be kissing their the, the pinky of the others. So I, I will try hard just because life is short you know not to not to bite my fingernails to the cuticle as things will change and you know wax and wane during that time but you're friggin' right on yeah, that. Yeah, well, thank you. You may remember when I said to Brianna Keeler, the famous says who, because what I realized is that these pollsters that are out there, they don't have a clue. I knew the poll she was talking about, and in yeah. fact— I mean, Nate Silver, they they bring science to bear and statistics, but as— It's, you know, it on, it's that, only that relevant, Harry, sure based thing. upon the pool of people. And if you're pooling only Republicans yeah. and you get an 80% success rate on them and obviously nobody on the Democratic side— the poll gets skewed. And that's the whole point. So look, Harry, let me thank you again for your wisdom. Um, thank you. I will Always give you a an A in my course. Yeah. Um, and and oh, that way, hopefully, we'll end up getting you back on Maya Culpa very soon. There's a lot going on. And um, we need we need I'm your insight. Kidding. And it's getting it's only it's only growing. It's only growing. We're going to be at um, Talking Feds um, at Austin this weekend, where they've got all kinds of people at the Tribune Festival. And we're doing a whole thing on the Supreme Court and a whole thing on DOJ, you know, Andrew Weissman and those guys and then Supreme 
uh, court, uh, you know, Supreme Court commentators. So looking forward to it. Oh, and I wanted to mention, if anyone is uh, talking Feds forward, uh, check out our YouTube channel, which we're just starting. And, uh, kind and of how do you get about. to it? I should know, shouldn't I? Go to YouTube and put in there Talking Feds. Harry, thank you very much, my All friend. Right. I will be seeing <laughs> you and speaking to you soon. You too. And now for today's mea culpa. It's been widely reported this week that the twice-impeached liar-in-chief has now fully embraced the QAnon branch of the Republican Party. And how do we know this? Over the weekend at a rally in Youngstown, Ohio, Trump gave a speech that was standard fare, predictably bitter. He lashed out at the media and all of his enemies. But the last several minutes of his speech had a soundtrack that resembled the QAnon anthem. As the song played, rally attendees raised their arms in Nazi-like unison, flashing a one-finger salute. A reference to the QAnon motto, where we go one, we go all. The primaries are over and the sprint to November 8 is underway. Voters in 27 states will find election deniers and QAnon candidates on their ballots. But why did Trump choose Ohio to out as Q? Well, maybe because he has friends there like J.D. Vance and Jim Jordan who have supported QAnon candidates in the past. And since we're focusing on candidates in pivotal races, no better time to take on Congressman Jim the fucking asshole Jordan, whose record of passing legislation is virtually non-existent. But Jordan is set to chair the powerful Judiciary Committee if Republicans take the House in the fall. He's also been floated as a possible Trump-backed contender for Speaker. I mean, these are all hideous notions, especially in light of who Jordan really is. Airing at the end of the month on HBO is George Clooney's documentary about the cover-up of Ohio State wrestlers abused by the team's doctor. Jordan is caught up in the scandal because he was an assistant coach at the time and allegedly witnessed the abuse and said absolutely nothing. Later, when the abuse was exposed, he begged witnesses and people who knew about the scandal to let it go for the good of the program. I mean, seriously, really, Jim? What if it was your kid? For the good of the program? Or to save your cowardly ass? An NBC News report stated, It is stunning that Jordan has been able to avoid civil liability and scandal while he has been in Congress. But that may be about to change as folks watch this well-made documentary highlighting the entirety of this scandal and the seriousness of Jordan's role in it. Jordan may now finally face consequences. Me personally, I fucking hope so. And that's where Tammy Wilson comes in. She is Jordan's Democratic challenger for Congress in Ohio's 4th District. And this isn't just a case of vote blue no matter who. On the contrary, Tammy Wilson will do Ohioans proud should she win against Jordan. Wilson, a single mom and businesswoman, focused on maintaining civil liberties and protecting the right to choose in a state that's leaning far to the right. Miss Wilson will protect and expand female and minority voices in Washington. She'd like help create a tax system where everyone pays their fair share. And, according to the Ohio Plain Dealer, Tammy Wilson brings a fresh perspective and common-sense solutions to core issues no one in Washington is discussing. 
Does she have a chance in hell? I don't know. She doesn't have much of a budget compared to Jordan, and she's not nearly so well known. But she stands for things that's practical Ohioans care about. The freedom to love and marry who you choose, the freedom to worship as you will, equal rights, equal pay, all the good stuff. And, unlike fucking Jordan, Tammy Wilson is not an asshole. So vote accordingly, folks, and more importantly, thanks for listening. Mea Culpa is brought to you by Audio Up, Midas Touch, and LSJ Media, written by Jimmy Jelinek and Paula Killen. Our editor and managing producer is Lisa Orkin. Our executive producers are Jared Gustad, Jimmy Jelinek, and myself, Michael Cohen, along with Phil Alberstadt. It may be a new day politically, but nowadays the landscape is more confusing than ever. Donald Trump may have lost the battle for the presidency, but in many ways, Trumpism is still winning the war on the state and local level. Maya Culpa is here to help guide you through the wilderness and keep you informed. And let's face it, we all want Trump, Rudy, and the rest of these seditious traitors to see justice. And folks, I promise you, it's coming. So stay tuned as I guide you through the twists and turns of the criminal process that will ultimately see them behind bars. Mea culpa, nothing but the truth. Oh.